Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the National Library of Australia and to this talk, When the Raiders Come to Town, by Dr Guy Hanson. My name is Andrew Sargent, and I'm the Petherick Librarian here at the National Library in the Reader Services branch. Um, as we begin, I'd like to acknowledge and celebrate the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet. I pay my respects to the elders of the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people past and present for caring for this land that we are now privileged to call our home. It's a great pleasure to welcome you all here to the library this afternoon to hear from Dr Guy Hanson, whose passion for league is perhaps unmatched, although maybe not, um, in this institution. Now this talk was organised many moons ago, and I was asked to do the intro quite a few weeks back, um, long before we knew who would be playing in the finals. However, I feel that I must now nail my colours to the mast. <laughs> 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 yes, I have the red and green disease. And in case Guy happens to forget to tell you, he's one of those poor souls at Barrack for Parramatta. <laughs> um, it's good to see that he's recovered sufficiently to turn up today, though. Um, Guy, I can see this is going to be a tough crowd, I think. <laughs> um, now, I should have been a Berries supporter. Um, and for those not old enough to remember, the Berries are what what used to be the Bulldogs. <laughs> I was born in Canterbury Hospital, raised in Bankstown, but come the week of the 67 grand final, um, I was in school in year three, just sort of becoming aware of what footy was all about. And of course all the kids, grand final week, all the kids were going to go for the berries. And being a bit of a contrarian kid, I said, no, nope, I'm going to go for the other team. And that was it. And of course, the good guys won, and that was it for life. <laughs> 1971 was the last glory year before the long 43-year drought, and I copped it throughout high school um, from all the Bulldog supporters. By the late 70s, I was driving in from Bankstown to Redfern Oval with a mate whose dad used to play for them. If anybody remembers Freddie Anderson, he actually played for Australia, and, and the dogs, or the berries. Um, and we used to pick a safe, safe spot on the ground at Redfern Oval um, because it was steel beer cans in those days that flew through the air. <laughs> and as often as not, watching them get hammered by the opposition. The 70s and early 80s were very lean years for Souths. But at least the Leagues Club was right across the road. But on to today's talk. The Canberra Raiders win over the Balmain Tigers in the Rugby League Premiership of, on the 24th of September 1989 saw Canberra flooded with a sea of green in the days following as fans celebrated the success of their relatively new team. Today's 30 years to the day of that historic win. Guy's talk will explore the lasting impact that victory had on Canberra's identity and how the city's image beyond its borders changed in the eyes of sporting fans across the country. So please join me in a sympathetic welcome for, Guy, for Dr Guy Hanson. Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. It is true, I am a Parramatta fan. I was born in walking distance of Cumberland Oval and I spent much of the 1970s watching Parramatta being beaten, uh, which made me the person I am today. <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm happy to say that my second team is the Raiders and I am quietly confident that they will dispatch South Sydney on Friday. Yeah. See, 
as when, when you're doing public speaking, they say, know your audience. So <laughs> go the Raiders. Okay. So uh, let, me, let me come to the talk we're giving today uh, about this match, which was to the day 30 years ago um, at the Sydney Football Stadium. There were 40,000 fans and we had the Tigers uh, v uh, the Raiders. So that's the match which we're going to look at. And I'm just going to give you a little reminder of uh, what happened that day. And there it is, one point lead to the Canberra Raiders. So there we go. That, was, uh, that wasn't actually the end of the match, but that was the point that it was, it was beyond any possibility that Balmain could win. And that game has, uh, for many commentators at the time, Rick, the, 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 the Moose, Rex Mossop, declared it the best game, uh, best grand final that had been played. And, and other commentators had agreed. Of course, there's been many grand finals since then, and there might be more debate about it now. But it's a game which has enduring fascination, and it's entered into becoming part of rugby league's mythology. So why is this game still remembered as one of the best grand finals ever? Uh, interest in the game comes not just from the athleticism and skill shown on the day, but also that the way the Raiders fought their way from obscurity to grand final glory. This story has many of the ingredients of a great legend. Like a Norse myth, there are heroic characters, obstacles to overcome, violence, drama, victory and defeat. More on this later. I also want to look at what this victory meant for the city of Canberra. Success on the football field, that must be a South Sydney fan. Success on the football field helped forge a new sense of identity for the city. So let's go back to 1989 and look what was going on in rugby league at that time. This was a high point in the expansion of the 1980s expansion of the New South Wales Rugby League. The league administrators were uh, congratulating themselves on increasing attendance at, at, uh, at games and also on increasing revenue. Money was pouring in from television. Uh, the league had negotiated a massive uh, deal with Channel 10. Um, there was also money from uh, Winfield with the Winfield Cup and there was also money from Footy Tab um, because they made an agreement with gambling. So uh, they, were, they had big crowds and they had lots of money. Now, uh, while the administrators were congratulating themselves on growing the game, they perhaps were not prepared for what was coming. Uh, the game's growing popularity had made it a target for the coming struggle for content for cable television. So this is 1989, I see as a, as a peak in the game's history where everybody thinks we, we're doing a fantastic job, but just around the corner is that horrible thing called the Super League War. So let's have a look at how the Raiders came to play in the 1989 Grand Final. Um, as it turns out, the library is a great place to be if you want to reconstruct this story. Uh, in our collections, we've got a complete run of uh, Rugby League Week and also uh, the Big League, which are the major sort of uh, print publications about Rugby League from this period. And also, much to my pleasure, we also have many of the memoirs of uh, players who played in the 1989 Grand Final. And so you, you can um, enjoy yourself reading these stories which are usually as told. So they're usually ghost written by journalists like Ian Heads or uh, um, 
John McDonald and various other writers. So, uh, but there's, there's quite a good rugby league literature to investigate. So before you can actually get into the grand final, you have to get into the competition. And that happened in 1982 when the New South Wales Rugby League uh, accepted the Raiders and the Steelers into the competition. Now these were the first teams from outside of Sydney to join the competition since Newcastle's short stint in 1908. So Newcastle was there for one year and then after that the competition was very much based around Sydney. Because the Raiders and the Steelers were the first part of an expansion of the game and uh, in 1998 they were joined by the Brisbane Broncos, the Gold Coast Giants and the Newcastle Knights. So in this period of the 1980s, you can see that rugby league, the rugby league competition has expanded from a suburban Sydney competition of 12 teams into a national competition of 16 teams. In some ways, uh, it's surprising that Canberra was the first interstate team to join the competition. Canberra was not traditionally seen as a rugby league strong, stronghold. Indeed, both um, Australian rules football and soccer had higher participation rates in Canberra. And of course, historically, Canberra had a much stronger connection with Melbourne rather than Sydney, and that was because the capital had moved from Melbourne in 1927. Departments had come up, and, and they brought with them a lot of uh, VFL supporters. So in some ways, you'd think maybe more a Queensland cl club might have come into the competition, but it was Canberra who came in. And how did that happen? Well. It wasn't actually the people in Canberra, it was the people out of Queanbeyan who made it happen. Uh, Queanbeyan, unlike Canberra, was very much a league town, and the Queanbeyan Leagues Club realised that a team from Queanbeyan was unlikely to be admitted into a national competition, but a team from Canberra could be marketed as representing the national capital and could attract support throughout regional New South Wales. At the time that Queanbeyan was plotting to join the New South Wales Rugby League, they were able to point to the success of the relatively new basketball team, the Canberra Cannons. The Cannons were one of the foundation clubs of the National Basketball League, which was established in 1979. And they did very well in the competition, attracted strong support, and went on to win titles in 1983, 1984, and 1988. And so here you can see uh, Phil Smythe, who was one of their star players. So the, can the Cannons are important in this story because they proved that Canberra could support a successful sporting franchise. The New South Wales Rugby League decided to select Canberra over bids from Campbelltown, Newcastle and the Central Coast. The new team was called the Raiders and would be based at Searford Oval in Queanbeyan. There's, there's a picture of the Oval. So it was actually not until 1990 that the Raiders relocated to Bruce Stadium. So in this early phase, Queanbeyan and the surrounding areas provided a base level of support for the Raiders, while its popularity would grow in the city. Okay, so this is the 1982 uh, Raiders side. Now, 1982 wasn't a very successful year for the, for the Raiders. They, um, they came last and won the wooden spoon. But they were showing signs that they were, would be a good team, and they quickly developed. Uh, they used a lot of talent from country New South Wales and also from Queensland. And in 1987, they reached their first grand final. Um, unfortunately, they were defeated by Manly, uh, 18 to 8. But you can see, you can see here they, they had Wayne Bennett, uh, one of the most famous uh, rugby league coaches um, in rugby league history, was their coach at that time. So this was a, a, um, 
they'd already demonstrated that they were on track to being a very powerful team. Now, these early years of the Raiders coincided with a period of rapid change in Canberra. In 1988, the new Parliament House had opened to much fanfare, and also the federal government had begun implementing self-government in Canberra. Now, you, of course, Canberrans had voted against self-government, but the uh, federal government had decided to proceed with it anyway. The first ACT election was held on the 4th of March 1989, just before the beginning of the football season. Um, this election is famous for having a ballot paper which was almost a metre wide. There were 17 candidates representing 22 political parties. And um, it's fun to go back and look at some of the party names from this period, the sun-ripened warm tomato party, the party party party, the surprise party, and of course the no self-government party. So I think um, that election reflected the way that many Canberrans did resent that self-government was being imposed on the city. But it's kind of interesting to think that just at this point of time, this new football team has arrived and starting to do really well, and they would help define a new identity for the city as it actually moved into self-government. So let's bring our focus in now and look in detail at the 1989 season. 16 teams were competing in that expanded competition. After 22 rounds, South Sydney, were the minor premiers, followed by Penrith in second position, Balmain in third position, Canberra in fourth position, and Brisbane and, and Cronulla drawn for fifth. The fact that the Raiders had made it into the final five was something of a surprise. In round 18, the Raiders were in seventh position and were in danger of missing the finals. They began a heroic five-game winning streak which took them to fourth position on the table. Now, of course, fourth position is the position that the Raiders finished in this year, but of course it's a final eight rather than a final five now. Uh, and at that stage, their teams from fourth had, whilst they had made it to the grand final, a couple of teams had gone on to make it to the grand final from fourth, no one had ever gone on to win. So the Raiders were pretty much written off at this stage. Um, that said, they went on another winning streak. They defeated Cronulla in the semi-finals and Penrith and then South Sydney. Sorry, Andrew. And uh, that's how they earned their place in the grand final against Balmain. So while the Raiders were considered lucky to have made it, Balmain was seen as a team very much deserving a victory. The previous year, they'd made it to the grand final only to lose to Canterbury 28 to 12. There was a consensus amongst rugby league pundits but it was their turn in 1989. This bias towards the Tigers was not surprising. Um, Balmain was a traditional inner city working class club and it was captained by Wayne Junior Pearce. Junior had grown up uh, next to Leichhardt Oval and had dreamed of playing for the Tigers from when he was a boy. As a teenager, he'd sold hot dogs at the ground and played for local teams. He'd come to be seen as the personification of all that was good about Balmain. The Tigers coach, Warren Ryan, used Pierce's local hero status to motivate his team. His refrain when talking to journalists was, we need to do it for Junior. He said that again and again when being interviewed. Now, while Balmain had their hero in Junior Pierce, Canberra had its hero, Mal Meninga. A product of Queensland, Meninga joined the Raiders in 1985. He was already considered one of the best players in Australia. At this stage in his career, he was most probably best known for breaking his arm regularly. 
Um, over the previous 18 months, he'd broken his arm four times. The first occasion was at Seaford Oval in 1987, when he famously collided with a goalpost. Um, he damaged it again in a game against Penrith uh, later in 1987, and he broke it again in a sevens tournament in February 1988. Um, and again, playing for Australia against the rest of the world in late 1988. So in some ways, the fact that he was even playing in the grand final can be seen as an amazing feat. You can see that his arm's very heavily bandaged in the, uh, in the footage of the game. Now, of course, Junior Pearce and Mao were not the only stars playing on that day. If you look at the team lifts, you can see that there were many superstars playing. Now, this, of course, I'm sure will be familiar to many of you. This is uh, the program which uh, you would you'd see in big league with all the players on the day. And you can see there's, there's um, many famous rugby league names there with Gary Belcher, Laurie Daly, Daly John Ferguson, Ricky Stewart, Glenn Lazarus, Kevin Walters, Bradley Clyde in the Canberra side. And in the our main side, of course, we've got Ben Elias, Gary Jack, Steve Roach and Paul Sirinan. So uh, it really was the stars of rugby league were playing on this day. So, as I mentioned, the Sydney media were very biased towards the Tigers. Um, and I think a good example of this is the cover of uh, Rugby League Week in Grand Final Week. Um, as you can see, it shows, um, it's referencing uh, the victories of the Tigers in 1939, 1969 and 1989. It's almost like it's inevitable progression. The Tigers are destined to win this game. So that was the way it was being presented in Sydney. Uh, the paper's expert tipsters, Norm Tasker and Tony Durkin, both tipped Balmain to win. Durkin's match preview came with a dash of moral judgment. Balmain are experienced, hungry and disciplined. Canberra are experienced and hungry, but substitute much of their discipline with flair. In rugby league culture, this was a scathing comment. The Raiders were showy compared to the tough, disciplined Tigers. Now, the favouritism shown to Balmain was not surprising given that they were one of the foundation clubs of the league which had started in 1908. Canberra, in contrast, were seen as interlopers by Sydney fans. Canberra had only recently joined the competition and its playing ranks consisted of country footballers and Queenslanders. While many fans supported the growth of the game, they were not keen to see a club from outside Sydney take home the trophy. So let's sharpen our focus again and look at what happened on the day of the grand final on the 24th of September. So here I have um, the grand final program as it was reproduced in Big League. And so just at about this time on the day, I think Parramatta were playing North Sydney in reserve grade. And I'm sorry to say North Sydney won. <laughs> Parramatta's still in the competition though. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> uh, that was unkind, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, so, um, I think uh, one of the most interesting aspects of the day was the, uh, the pre-match entertainment, or what was called the Grand Final spectac Spectacular. It was titled Save Our Future, um, and it was billed as a musical tribute to the environment. Um, and what happened at this uh, spectacular was in front of a large inflatable plastic tree and surrounded by female dancers wearing costumes possibly inspired by bats or possibly by moths, I'm not sure. <laughs> John Williamson performed Rip Rip Woodchip, 
and Debbie Byrne sang Nature's Lament. For the Rugby League, this was a strong political statement. This was a year which had seen an extended campaign in Tasmania to stop the Wesley Vale pulp mill. For some people um, in the rugby league world, this was controversial. Um, it provoked admonishment from super coach Jack Gibson, who in his column in rugby, rugby League Week said, rugby league should stay within its bounds. So, um, but it was a bit surprising to see that highlight of environmental concerns in the, in, before the game. After the pre-game entertainment, the next thing on the program was a video message from Tina Turner. Now, I haven't been able to find the text of what Tina said to the fans, but it was clear she'd become a big fan of rugby league. Earlier in the year, the New South Wales Rugby League had contracted Tina to promote the game. The initial campaign featured her song, What You Get Is What You See, which was followed up in 1990 with Simply The Best, which is widely said to be the most successful sporting advertising campaign in Australian history. Whilst Tina was um, addressing the fans, uh, the two respective first grade teams were in their dressing rooms waiting to go out. Uh, then we have Debbie Byrne come out at three o'clock and sing the national anthem, and then we have kickoff. Now, I did spend some time trying to describe this game um, in writing up very versions, many versions of it, but I soon realised that that was silly. You really need to see it. So. There's a lovely little highlights package which the uh, Canberra Raiders were able to get for me, so I'll play that. Now the Canberra Raiders make their way onto the Sydney Football Stadium, led by Mal Meninga. As Meninga gets the grand final underway, and Gary Jack will bring the football back for the Tigers. And bring the first tackle, and almost got to the quarter line. First time they've been down here with the football. Roach is hammered by Lance. Great defence. Coin back from the Ninga. He throws them away. Here's a 
So I'm not going to show extra time, but uh, <laughs> we all know what happened. Um, but it, uh, extra time, of course, is interesting because all the players are absolutely exhausted, and uh, it, it, it sort of and, and Canberra achieves their victory. But I, I think you can just see in in watching that little package what an exciting game it was, and how it fluctuated between the sides, and and how. While Balmain could have won the game several times, they didn't. And I think um, this is one of the reasons why it's such a memorable game is there's all these uh, sliding door moments where there's these what if questions. What if, what if Benny's uh, field goal hadn't hit the post? And, and what if Mal Meninga hadn't managed to ankle tap Neil as he was diving for a try? So those, those things, I think, make it a game endlessly possible to talk about and, and speculate about what might have happened. So, of course, we do know what happened. Um, Steve Jackson, we, and I showed you the Steve Jackson try earlier on, and there was also the field goal. So in the end, um, the Raiders uh, won the match by 19 um, to 14. Now, of course, one of the famous moments, um, which you can talk about in terms of what if, uh, is the, the, the decision by coach Warren Ryan to replace his two star players, uh, Paul Sirinan and Steve Roach, thinking that he needed to pull his big men off and put on some fresh men to defend. And of course, it was in that, that period that they were off the field, they couldn't go back on, uh, that Balmain lost. And um, I don't think Ciro and Block, Blocker agreed with the decision of the coach to do it, but that is what happened. And this is the Tigers bench, and you can juxtapose it with the Raiders bench. Um, and uh, they were happy with the decision. So, uh, okay, I, I just show you a few slides now of the aftermath of the game. Um, and and 
uh, I think it's one of the things when you watch grand finals is you see the emotions written on people's faces and how important it is for them. So we can see uh, Mal Meninga and Bradley Clyde with um, Bob Hawke. Of course, Bob Hawke loved to hand out trophies, so he was there in the background. You can see the team celebration with Tim Sheens there in the JJ Gilton and Shield. Uh, and you can see the contrast with uh, how Benny Elias is feeling and how Junior Pierce is feeling. Um, so it's pretty tough, pretty tough to, to be on the losing side. Yeah, it's a moment of deep reflection. Um, so back in Canberra, um, this is, of course, where uh, the, the fountains in Canberra ran green and, and Canberra was a sea of green celebration. At this event in Civic Square, you can see Mal Meninga um, presenting the Winfield Trophy uh, to the fans. There's over 5,000 fans were there on that day. And uh, it's interesting when you look at this slide because you wonder why is the trophy wrapped in a towel? Was it because Mal didn't like tobacco sponsorship and wanted to cover it over? But no, that wasn't the reason. Um, the night before, after the celebrations, they were in an open-top car and apparently Laurie dropped the trophy and uh, it, it cracked the base of the trophy and, and hence they were hiding that on the day by disguising it in a, in, a, in a towel. They had to get emergency repairs to it because they were due to go to a function at the lodge and um, they had to get it fixed up before they went to the lodge. So that's why the, the Winfield Cup has a towel around the bottom of it in this photograph. Um, so it was... Of course, um, this is sort of the coverage uh, in, the, in the Canberra Times. There was a big supplement produced after the game with lots of photographs and celebration and interviews with, with people at the Mawson Club and, and in various other locations. Again and again, people were sort of saying, we've proved the people in Sydney wrong, Canberra has a soul. Those are the kind of things that the fans were saying. So it was a, a very memorable moment for the people who were there. Um, I gather it was impossible to get into the club uh, and... and People everywhere. So it was a big moment of celebration. I, um, I do recognise this uh, because I, as a Parramatta fan, I can remember when Parramatta won its first grand final. And Parramatta fans, of course, weren't as civilised as Raiders fans. Their, their response was to go to Cumberland Oval and burn down the stand. So I think the Raiders... <laughs> I wasn't there. I deny. But the, uh, um, I think the Raiders fans behaved very well and were very happy. So, of course, um, I think uh, the significance of this is that this success on the sporting field added a, a new dimension to Canberra's in, in identity and it changed how Canberrans felt about themselves and it also changed how people felt about Canberra because Canberra had, had, had proved they could do it. Um, and I think it also changed Sydney as well. Like, I, I know I've been talking about Canberra, but it did change Sydney because 1989 was the first occasion that a team from outside Sydney had won the Premiership. So the implications of a national expansion of the game had really begun to sunk in. The competition no longer belonged to Sydney, um, and the Raiders' victory was a, was, was a, a harbinger of things that would come um, as the competition continued to expand. Um, Canberra would win a couple more competitions, um, Raiders in uh, 89 and Raiders in 90. Um, and of course, after that, Brisbane would win competitions and Melbourne would com win competitions. So, you know, um, that was a big difference for Sydney. Uh, within Canberra, the success of the Raiders uh, attracted 
political support. So people like uh, Ros Kelly, the senator from Canberra, would be seen in the dressing rooms. And of course, uh, Bob Hawke also liked to uh, frequent the dressing rooms. So it was a big moment. As I um, mentioned at the beginning of my talk, though, this, this peak of success of rugby league, where very good um, numbers are attending the game, lots of people are watching it on television, it was also a moment where this success meant that it would not be long before uh, the big media moguls would start wrestling for control of the game. And of course, that was to happen um, in, the, in, the, in the 90s, and that was the Super League War, which was coming round the corner. And of course, the Raiders were one of the teams who decided to join the Super League. So, I am. I, I'll just. Um, I, I, if you're interested in rugby league history, there's some really interesting things happening these days. Um, while a lot of rugby league history is 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 perhaps nostalgia, um, there's some good books and things being written. David Heaton's about to release a book on the history of the Raiders. There's some great. Um, there's a, a there's a great website called Rugby League Project, which has all the statistical records of the game. And there's also a wonderful um, uh, podcast called the Rugby League Digest, which discusses the history of the game in great detail, uh, run by um, some, a guy from uh, Mitchell, uh, New South Wales State Library. So there's some really interesting things uh, happening in rugby league history. So if you're interested, I'd encourage you to follow up those things. I'll just, um, as, I, as I do my conclusion, I'll, I'll leave up a slide of uh, the Viking clap being done at Bruce Stadium, because the Raiders are still very important, um, very important for the Canberra community. So, um, the I'll just wrap it up now. The 1989 grand final provided a focus for community pride in much maligned capital. For many Canberrans, the outpouring of lime green pride which both preceded and followed the game, forever disproved the idea that Canberra was a city without a soul. The victory of the Raiders was also an important milestone in the struggle between rugby league and Australian rules football, because when the Raiders moved in here, they managed to capture this little bit of uh, New South Wales uh, and the capital uh, as rugby league fans. Um, it was also an important milestone on the road to what we now know of as the National Rugby League. In Joseph Campbell's work on Comparative Mythology, The Hero Without a Thousand Faces, a book which has become an al almost a textbook for Hollywood screenwriters, Campbell argues that the mythological stories um, around the world follow the same basic narrative pattern. And I'll, I'll give you his little definition. A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder. Fabulous forces are there encountered and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from his mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellow man. I think this, is a, this quote is a good description of the Raiders' march from being a minor rugby league team to premiers. The victory of, 19, of the 1989 grand final was genuinely heroic. I can't think of a better description of, 1980s, of the 1980s New South Wales rugby league competition as a region of supernatural wonder. And what could be more decisive than winning the premiership and returning to your home and presenting the trophy to the adoring fans of Canberra and Queanbeyan? So I'm being a bit facetious there invoking uh, Joseph Campbell, but I do think that there's a sense why this story is so powerful and why we still talk about it today. Um, uh, the victory of the Raiders helped uh, Canberra to develop a shared sense of identity. Personalities such as Mal Meninga, Ricky Stewart, Laurie Daly provided a set of heroes to populate the city's collective imagination. 
At a time that Canberra had just achieved self-government, the Raiders became an important resource for building a sense of community. They helped unite Canberra and Quibian. Thank you. Well, we do have some time for a few questions from the audience. Now, we're live streaming this event on the National Library's Facebook page, uh, and the recording will be made available afterwards for those who couldn't join us today. So if you do have a question, could you please wait for the microphone to come to you uh, before you ask the question to ensure that it gets picked up by the sound feed? So we got, we got one there. Uh, Gary Williams. Thank you, Doctor. It was very informative. A little disappointing, though, was the, the start of the Raiders. I think credit should have been given to uh, Les McIntyre. Absolutely. And Donnie Furner. Yes. There's and a, you may know, if I may continue, sure. Donnie's got dementia and is not travelling that well. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. That's, uh, that's my only comment. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, the story of um, the start of the Raiders is a really important one. And I think David, in his book, is uh, looking in that in detail. And... Uh, it, uh, it, within the confines of the amount of time I had today, I, I couldn't. But I think it's, a, it's an amazing achievement that Queanbeyan Leagues Club uh, got a, a, a team into the national competition. There's many Leagues Clubs around the country who've tried to do this, and very few have succeeded. So it really speaks well of, uh, of the people behind that drive back in 1981. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like to ask Don Fern about tickets, but I won't. Um, but I just, just one point I'd like to make, and that is I think the Raiders have shown a lot of initiative right through in the sense that um, they, they took a lot of Queenslanders and brought them down and had a lot of success. I think to some extent Tom, uh, Tim Sheen's brought uh, Fijian, a Fijian and was probably the first to bring that, the Polynesians into the game. And in recent times, of course, the English that they brought across. I mean, it, it seems to be that they have been a very innovative club from the very start, and that's been possibly one of the major successes. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. And I was talking to somebody yesterday who, who joked uh, to me that um, Canberra was actually uh, a, a Queensland team. And it's, not, it's, it's partly true uh, that that initial uh, group of talent from Queensland were, were extremely important uh, to the Raiders. And... It's difficult to get players to move from Sydney, but other regions were prepared to play for the Raiders and they made that into a real strength of the club. And I think a lot of players enjoyed the lifestyle in Canberra, a bit quieter than perhaps the lifestyle in Sydney where they were much more in the media's, media's attention. I think that plays out for Melbourne as well, um, that you can see the players perhaps have a better lifestyle in a city like that. What was the origin of the Viking clap? I, I was a disaffected Raiders fan for a little while there, but uh, um, after the Super League bit. But um, I've been fascinated watching that on television. I, I actually don't know how it started. I don't know if there's somebody here who knows. I say in soccer team. Yeah. Did you want me to answer that? I can answer that if you want. Yes. Um, so about three years ago, we went over to Seattle Seahawks and they had a similar start to their game where they'd invite 
uh, an ex-player or, or a celebrity to start, not a horn, but this, start this big drum. And then, if you remember, there was um, a soccer team that went well in the World Cup, and they were the Icelandic soccer team. And so it was a combination of both of those, and we copied the Icelandic soccer team who did the Viking clap. We were Vikings, of course. We tried it one day, not sure whether people would stand up or not. Not sure that it would last the second week or the third week, but um, thankfully, Canberra's got behind it, and it's a, a, a very iconic game day celebration now. So it was a copy of the Icelandic soccer team and, and a bit of what we saw at Seattle. Yes, absolutely. All right. Um, well, we've run out of time, but I hope you've enjoyed this lunchtime exhibition talk. And I'm not even going to talk about Friday night except to say that if we don't fix up our defence, and I'm looking at you, Adam Reynolds, <laughs> it will be 70,000 doing the Viking clap on, on the big game. Um, finally, as Guy mentioned, don't forget that the NLA Bookshop um, is offering a 10% pre-order discount on David Heaton's book that you just saw, Absolutely Bleeding Green, The Raiders' Story, um, for all orders placed today. So thank you for attending today's lecture and we hope to see you back at the library soon. Go the bunnies. <laughs> <laughs>